Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine. And I'm Alea, and welcome to Whitman So White, a platform to share by POC voices and tell our stories. For today's episode, we will be talking with Aliyah and Hannah about their experience with activism and anti-racist work on white campuses, especially since Aliyah and Hannah have grown up in PWIs for their entire lives. This includes pushback, talking about complacency and discouragement on campus, but most importantly, all of the work that has been done just this summer to help create a better college environment. Awesome. So, Aliyah, do you want to start us off um, by introducing yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Aaliyah. I'm a rising junior, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. My name is Hannah, and I'm also a rising junior, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. So can you guys start off by telling us your educational experience and background with activism at your schools in the past? Yes, definitely, and I can start us off. Um, so my... Um, educational experience has been in environments uh, very similar to Whitman. I consider the high school that I went to um, a smaller version of Whitman. And so um, I've always been used to being the only one, whether that's the only woman in a room or the only black person in the room, usually both. Um, it's kind of been something that I've become accustomed to and it doesn't make me uncomfortable anymore. And that's been a blessing and a curse. Um, but I think for me, recognizing a need in my environments, um, especially in high school when I like saw it immediately and I felt like it was my job to educate people. Um, and I was pouring a lot of time into the idea that it was my job to make people understand where I'm coming from and like, um, why certain topics that I'm discussing are important and why it should be acknowledged. I think that transitioning into um, a college environment, there was a little bit of a shift, but as for like high school, for me, it was just spending a lot of my time feeling like it was, I was obligated to teach everyone else to understand me. For me, um, in high school, I wasn't really involved in activism, mainly because while it was a PWI, it was a really, really small school. So there wasn't really anything like very pressing that happened or that affected me greatly, I guess, um, like it does at Whitman. And I think I didn't really feel as much of a need to participate in activism um, because of that. Like, the only thing that I experienced really at my high school would be like microaggressions, like small ones. And even though that's still not okay, like it was an easy fix. Like it wasn't something that I felt particularly compelled to do something big about because it was easy to just be like, don't say that. Um, and coming to Whitman, it was a really big shift because I just saw how as an institution that's bigger than a high school and Whitman is like super big to me because my high school was very, very small. Um, seeing how they treat um, like us BIPOC students and deal with certain things. It was a very different story. And I felt the need to say something because the way that some people would approach uh, issues about race and such 
at Whitman is really different from what I experienced at my high school in Portland. So this kind of also transitioned to kind of our next question that we have. Um, but basically, you guys talked a little bit about the shift um, to Whitman from high school. Um, but specifically with activism, what does that look like for Whitman specifically and in a college setting for you guys? Well, for me, coming to Whitman and being an activist, I didn't think this is the most active I've ever been in social justice um, issues. And in college, it feels bigger. I guess like it feels like bigger because we, I guess being in Walla Walla, it's such a small town and it being, you know, mostly conservative, you are more likely to experience racism there. And I think being in college and being an activist, there are more people that don't have the education of anti-racism and you experience more like ignorance. I would say I've never experienced as much ignorance as I have before Whitman. And it's weird because I also went to a PWI, but at Whitman, it's a bit different. And I think it's because we are all from different places, if, you know, it being a college. And I also think that, like, activism in college, it affects us differently. And we have more to, like, do because we're trying to change an institution itself instead of, like, you know, a high school. And I think these issues are harder to deal with and change because the administration is very, you know, kind of stubborn when it comes to listening to BIPOC students. Definitely. And I would say like, and I touched on it a little bit before, but um, even coming to Whitman for me, I was feeling very disconnected and discouraged about activism work because coming from my high school I left and then I'm seeing the same issues that I thought I had fixed coming up again and it felt like there was no progress being made so then I came to Whitman and it was like well I'm not going to put my energy and time into trying to fix this institution if it's just going to be a shit show um, when I leave or whatever I try to do is going to fail and so I spent a lot of time like my first year also like unlearning the idea that it's one my job to educate people because that's not what I'm here for um unless you're paying me to do it and so having to learn that made it so that I wasn't as active um in activism work and I was just trying to preserve myself and it's such an like an interesting connection it was like you either preserve yourself and you're like kind of complacent and you're not saying anything or you're constantly frustrated and angry and discouraged. Um, and that's still something that I think all by POC students are constantly struggling with, um, especially black students, especially. But at some point um, for me, there was a huge shift and it was like, well, enough of this is absolutely enough. And if nobody's going to step up and do something about it, then I'm going to be the one to do that. And um, what I've seen just in like, my whole journey of activism and 
um, doing what I'm passionate about. It's women of color who decide that enough is enough and they step up to do something about it. And, you know, that's not to say that there aren't examples of others like doing that work. But um, for me, I've always been around black women, especially who say that we're going to make a change because nobody else is doing so, despite anything else that we're going through and um, kind of throwing away the idea of self-preservation for a moment to, um, to help a greater cause and a greater group of people. And so that's how my college activism differs from my, my activism in high school. It kind of started off like, I can't do this anymore. And then it trickled into, I, I don't have a choice. And for me, like in high school, I never did any of this. So coming to Whitman and ha- and like feeling the need to do something was never something that I had like experienced before. And like, I don't know, I became way more passionate about these things. Like I was, you know, out passionate about them before, but having to really want to make a change um, was really how I felt when I came to Whitman. And I started off just not understanding why these things were happening. And I was honestly very shocked by the things that I heard and like the instances of ignorance and racism that I like heard about from friends and mutuals. And like, that was really surprising to me because I thought that you people knew better, like we're in college, but obviously not. And so the way that like people who were supposed to, you know, correct this behavior, like, you know, some professors would, you know, let things slide and I would just be confused. And these things never happened in my own classrooms, thank goodness. But like, it was just weird to hear these things happening in other people's classrooms and no one was doing anything and acting as if these things were super normal. Everything was like normalized. And I was like, this isn't right. Why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And, you know, that was a lot of my first year learning how different it was from my school in Portland. And I was honestly shocked because it was so strange because they're both PWIs. But, like, Whitman, to me, is very different from, like, high school in the way that, like, people seem to be more ignorant or just not not care. Like, there's not empathy there. And my second year, that's when I really wanted to do something because I just felt like it was time. And it was also, and I also did go through a period of feeling like, well, if no one else is going to do it, then who will? And then I kind of put that on myself. And then I had to unlearn that as I was, you know, trying to learn how to be active in the community and trying to deal with administration and trying to change things and, you know, being safe and preserving yourself. It's a lot of like a struggle, you know? Yeah. And I just want to add on to that really fast that like, that's not like, there have been so many amazing activists on Whitman's campus since before we were there Um, And there's going to be a lot after. And I just, um, it was also discouraging for me to see other people who were doing the work not being acknowledged for it or um, their voices weren't getting 
out there as they should and they weren't necessarily getting the support that they needed. So it's not even that there were students who were complacent and didn't want to do anything. Like we, they were there the entire time and um, just didn't get the credit that they deserved. And so mm-hmm. I do want to acknowledge all of those people who did that um, because Whitman now, even now is very different than it was a couple years ago. And I know that just from t- talking about like the most recently graduated seniors, like mm-hmm. change is slow. I do have one response and I just think it's really interesting that you guys also notice that people are more ignorant. I don't know if it's that they're more ignorant in college or just more okay with being ignorant and like surrounding themselves in like only spaces that they feel comfortable in. Like, and I'm especially talking about like white students because in my, like I also went to a PWI for high school And it's just weird to me that people in high school are like more timid and like know to like not like obviously with an exception to some people, but know not to like flaunt their ignorance around and just be like okay and being problematic and like keep saying problematic things. But I feel like college students for some reason are a lot more confident and more outspoken. And if that's like activism, great. But if it's in ignorance and like in opposition to activism I just think that's also really strange and glad and I'm glad that you guys noticed that too because I was like what is going on (laughs) Mm -hmm. definitely yeah and I like just to add on to that what I started thinking when you were saying that is that a lot of people from my high school were just like very sheltered I see that also in like the Whitman environment. If you're only surrounding yourself by whiteness, then it's going to make sense that you have no other like perception of what's happening to other groups. And I think that's why it is really important that white students need to try to branch out and create a more diverse friend group. Like I really do think that that um, putting yourself into um spaces where you might not be the most comfortable is first of all how you grow and also how to be anti-racist like I don't understand how you can be an anti-racist and not have any friends of color you know what I mean um so that's a recommendation that I would say also in response to that also talking to like my high school friends about the things I've like the racism and just ignorance that I've heard about at Whitman and just like them being just like, that's so dumb. Like, why is that that way? And me like realizing how are these people way more just, I don't know, not ignorant. And it's just strange to me because like college is supposed to be a step up from high school. So you think that everyone would have learned all of these things in high school or before. And it's just strange to me. Um, And I think like, you know, also part of my like wanting to be more involved is seeing the, like Aaliyah said, other students in the past and like in a grade above us doing an amazing job at activism and really not being afraid to, you know, go against the administration and stuff. And I think that's really important. 
And like that really kind of shaped what I wanted to do and like what I, my involvement also. And that's like a big piece of activism too, of uplifting voices who are constantly marginalized and underrepresented. Um, that's like a big part of what it is. It's not even always um, taking a stand against the systems of oppression that um, that Whitman has, but it's also like acknowledging all of the voices that came before us, that will come after us, et cetera, et cetera, um, and creating those safe spaces. Um, something I wanted to say that kind of, well, when you're reflecting on the work done before you and then the work that you're doing now and the work that'll come after you is that it's a horrifying thing to think about that people are paying money to get a degree from Whitman and they have the ability to have that degree and finish it without ever being forced to confront like these kinds of situations, like learning about microaggressions or learning about the history of different races um, and cultures. And they're just taking that ignorance with them to workplaces. And they're going to be, you know, a boss one day or an employee, and they're just going to take those behaviors and the absence of knowledge with them. And that mm -hmm. only extends to like who learns from them and who follows them that extends to their families that extends to their communities. And this institution is just producing an, an ignorant set of people that go out into the world and only uphold, if not further or increase the amount of ignorance that we have in the country or in the world if they go outside of the United States. And so it's it's really not about incidents that happen. It's about the way that Whitman kind of just sits and lets this happen. And it's it's violent when you think about it. When they don't do anything, it's it's violent because you're just producing more of these people that are just going to end up doing these things or worse. And so yeah. it's just, I don't know, like people are always asking why Whitman doesn't do anything, but they're not necessarily doing anything bad. But I think just kind of with this phrase that silence is violence, I mean, mm -hmm. silence is violence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, it's like, that just shows that um, people of color are constantly going to be in these environments you know it's not going to stop at Whitman it didn't stop at my high school and we're always going to be involved in a system where we have to choose like being sane or like standing up for ourselves and our mm -hmm. rights and that's why like the cycle of discouragement that I was feeling even coming into Whitman is so like um I feel like it wasn't super validated by me but now I like that makes sense that I felt that way. Like at some point when you're constantly trying to make a change and then you go to different places and nothing has changed and you're like, well, clearly I'm not making a difference. What is my work doing? It's, I don't know. It's just this mm -hmm. vicious cycle that you're talking about. And, um, and that's why I, I genuinely hope that people are taking their mental health into account when we're talking about activism and, um, figuring out where to step back 
and also this is a time where allies need to step forward you know what i mean like like by poc students and people in work environments we we can't do it all we really can't um and it's draining and it's just a lot it's just a lot i don't even know like i know all three of us have probably felt it um and it's kind of hard for me to describe into words sometimes but it provides like such there's so many opportunities for white allies to really step up and show that they're behind by POC people and so I hope that that will help break that vicious cycle that you were talking about Jasmine because if not then we're going to keep going in circles you know what I mean and it's definitely like always a constant battle of whether we should do something or whether we should not and save ourselves and just like keep our you know mental better than what we could if we decided to do something and i think like like Aaliyah said mental health is such an important part of activism because i you can experience burnout really easily and you can also experience discouragement and Especially, I remember we reached a point where um, during this summer where there were just a lot of like there the lynchings and like the murders and all of the just like atrocities of all black folk were just it was just like every single day you'd hear about another black man or black woman being shot or hung on a tree and it was just a lot and it was it felt like we weren't doing anything and I felt like well what are like are we doing something to do like are we really doing anything if these people are still dying and it just was so upsetting and it felt like our work wasn't there was nothing happening. Like it felt like we weren't doing enough. And I think that a lot of the time BIPOC feel that way because this is racism is just so ingrained and it's systematic. It's ingrained in everything. And the fact that, you know, we can only do so much because we can't fix everything. Like we are just college students. Um, while we I'd like to think that we can fix like the world there we have to start off somewhere and that was really discouraging and something that we had to like understand we can't just focus on you know the bad of the situation we also can focus on the good and it has to be a, a balance you know and we have to uh you know take breaks if we need them I myself took a break from, you know, running our social media account and like posting about all of these things because it was just, it was making me sad. And so did Aaliyah. And I think like, it's always, you know, it's just a struggle when dealing with these things because you want to put all of yourself in it, but then you also have to, you know, step back sometimes and care about yourself because, you know, you can't, you know, be an activist if you're not okay. Like, you can't put your all into something if you aren't okay. And I think that's a really important thing that a lot of people don't realize. Because um, burnout is not 
the way to go. Yeah, definitely. And just something small. We'll probably talk about this later. But um, I think when people think of compensation, they think of paying you for your work, literally. Um, but they kind of forget the emotional labor that goes behind it. And I mean, if it if it was just about the work, there wouldn't be such a, I guess, push for compensation. Because I don't think people realize how much it takes out of you to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so exactly. it's always out of the conversation. And so I hope our listeners right now are kind of listening to this and realizing that it's much farther and much deeper than the work that's put in front of you. It, it goes far beyond that. Um, so thank you guys for sharing that. Um, can we kind of transition into talking about the work that you've been talking with us about? Um, to go to, I guess, describe it in a chronological order to kind of walk everyone through the work you've done and really emphasize that your work is a whole process. Yes. So um, we started off with doing fundraisers and I don't know where, like, I don't know where we just started our fundraiser chain, but basically, um, it was like we made a bunch of bingo boards and um the first bingo uh oh so the witty sustainability club like reached out to us um and basically was like well if you you know want to do something or if you want if you need to talk or just like you know reaching out because i think it was very the very recent murder of george floyd and um we decided from that that we wanted to do a bingo to help the uh, protesters um, for the bill project. And we made our first bingo board and, you know, we gave it to them. And then they basically put it on their Instagram and, you know, advertised it. And then we just reposted everything. And it turned out super, super successful. And that was like the first of the literal chain that we've had of bingo boards. And then after that, me and Leah decided, wait a minute, this was really, really good. This was really successful and it made us feel good because we were actually doing something and we were helping an organization. So then we decided to do like four other ones. And basically um, we'd reach out to different organizations on campus. Like we reached out to Theta, um, to help Navajo Nations. We reached out to the Drama Club and Pac Nation um, for Yemen. And we also collaborated with SIG for the Pretty Brown Girl Foundation and Asata's Daughter Organization. And basically, um, we were going around and collabing with other organizations and clubs to basically raise money. And we'd have bingo boards customized for each one. I made every single bingo board for every single fundraiser. Um, period (laughs) and um, it would you know match either the club's colors or like the organization that we're talking about um, and helping and we decided to focus you know a lot on um, black organizations helping you know black folk like 
um, the Pretty Brown Girl Foundation, but we also wanted to highlight some other issues that were that are still going on right now, um, like the crisis in Yemen and the Navajo Nations, and because yes, our club is for um, like focusing on Black folk, but I think that it was it's super important to also realize that we can also talk about other issues while talking about um police brutality and such and like racism because it all falls under that um and yeah so we wanted to do that and we've done like five i think bingo fundraisers and all of them have been really successful and they've been just it's really great to see because people have been been donating a lot and we just we see a lot of people who have been recurring donating which is really lovely and people just sharing um and yeah one of our bingo fundraisers finished in in one day of dropping it which was amazing to see um and it yeah we've just been doing that Yes, and quick shout out to anyone who donated to any of those. That was really great to see, and that was really empowering. And um, super shows like yeah, and shows just a lot of like um, Whitman community coming together despite not being in the same place. Um, so yes, thank you, Hannah, for showing all of that. So then um, we did a Black Student Union Take Action and Solidarity event. Um, and that was due to the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement at the time due to George Floyd's murder. Um, and after that, there was just an insane increase of people showing their allyship on social media. Um, and I had never seen that before. And it was something that was very new to Hannah and I. And we wanted to take advantage of that. Um, we wanted to not only acknowledge the Black Lives Lost, but also bring all of that social media energy back onto campus um, because allyship to me and should be to everyone is like, it's a verb. It's a recurring thing. Posting on social media is great and it shows awareness and um, I appreciated seeing that, but we need to make sure that that same energy is taken to our campus because that's where we need to make the most amount of change also. And that's where we have the power to make a lot of changes. Um, I, Hannah and I did not want to give anyone an excuse to like let that momentum um, decrease because we're back on campus. That's where it should be up. So that event went really, really well. Um, and through that was the Alliance of Whitman that was created. And Hannah's going to talk to you talk about that yeah so um that was where our, the alliance of whitman began um we created at the end of the solidarity event like a, a really beautiful um pdf of notes and everything of um from our ideas to like all of the texts and resources that people were talking about and that meeting was just one of the literally made me cry because I was just so overwhelmed by the support and just the presence and just people showing up and listening. And it was really wonderful to see. And, you know, we sent out notes to every single person that was at the um, event and those who couldn't make it. And we ended up having 
a, a chain of emails, people responding and people doing, having more ideas and all of these things. And we were like, well, you know, it sounds like we're more than just a one-time thing. It sounds like we really want to actually do this change. So that's when we decided to name it the Alliance of Whitman, um, kind of like a play on words like ally, I guess. We couldn't really think of anything better. <laughs> um, but, you know, we decided to make a listserv and we literally have like about a 200 and something members. Yes! All <laughs> just in the listserv and, you know, participating in activism, which is super exciting. And we basically um, use the listserv as, you know, a way to give updates and new ideas. People have been working on projects. Um, they've been delegating things and putting out work and meeting without us having to say anything or do anything. Like it's, it's really like all very hands-on and it's really wonderful to see, especially because we are not in person. And um, yeah, I think that it was such a, it was just a great transition from the solidarity event into something long lasting for me at least. Um, and we really are like doing actual action, which is super exciting. And we're, you know, going someplace rather than just having an event because I really, we really didn't want this to be a one-time thing. And, uh, you know, having the solidarity event, was wonderful and I think that that was a really great jumping off point to the alliance and like since the solidarity event the amount of people that have joined the alliance and you know given the resources that we give them to their perspective clubs or sports or things they're involved in is literally wonderful the only reason why we were able to you know spread our message so far is because of them sharing and supporting and you know doing the work and I think that that really needs to be acknowledged and I think I'm just so thankful me too I am still kind of shook because it also was like wow like having all of those people who are willing to like step up and give Hannah and I a chance to like step back was like never before seen like that's never happened to me before and so that's that's just super cool um but last but not least the most recent thing that hannah and i have done is a document called results may vary hey. um, right <laughs> so um basically um there hannah and i stumbled upon a, the demands that the black student union in 1970 made to whitman right we're looking at this, we're like, these are super reasonable. I wonder what happened. No, nothing. Nothing happened. Um, and so we took that document and we made a continuation of it with current demands of um, not only the Black Student Union, but eight other um, BIPOC clubs, um, which is like just continuing like that legacy and one, bringing awareness to the fact that nobody really knew that that existed and I feel like that should have acknowledgement um that black students in 1970 who went to Whitman wanted better for us and had these certain goals in mind um and so we in collaboration with every all of the other clubs we had 10 demands and we made that into an entire um document that now like 
has I, over 3,000 people have read it so far, which is really cool. Um, and that's really exciting. Shout out to anybody whose read results may vary. Um, that was like a passion project for Hannah and I. And I think that we just had like the main goal of like showing that historically Whitman has had activists on campus who have said what we need in order to thrive in this environment. And none of that has ever been taken seriously. Now we're here in 2020, we're talking about very similar issues. It's like, we haven't made the amount of progress that we should. And coming up soon in September is going to be the 50th anniversary of that document. So it's been like pretty much 50 years and we haven't seen um, the amount of progress that we should. Um, so Hannah and I sent that to administration uh, a few weeks ago. We have gotten a response from all three. We've gotten a response from Kathy, Kazi, and Mr. Thomas. Um, what we know so far is that the document has been read and has been given to the recent um, inclusion task force where they're, um, I guess, figuring out what to do about that. Um, and so we don't have like too many updates about where it's going, but we do know that it's being read and that um, people found it just as important as we did, which was also really exciting and encouraging um, to see people reading the piece, um, having like giving edits and recommendations to the piece. Um, and so now we just need to see what um, changes will be made to the campus now that it is out there, you know? Um, first and foremost, I just want to say congratulations to both of you. Um, that must feel like so rewarding. Um, and second of all, kind of unrelated, but like the results may vary. The design of it is so beautiful. And it kind of oh. like, it makes you shake a little when you're looking at the Whitman website and then you're looking at the design and you're like, dang, like it makes you, it makes, it gives you a little shake inside. And I, I really yes. loved it. And yeah, just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thank and shout you. out to Hannah for doing that graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> People were telling us that they thought we hacked the website. I was like, that's really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took me a very long time to do that. <sighs> took me forever. No, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for doing that. Um, and I'm so glad that it has like gotten such like good attention and that like everyone has been really receptive um, and hopefully like when we're all back on campus, that same energy will continue. Um, and just like, I think it's super amazing that you guys are helping with like setting that foundation of like opportunities for people to be getting involved, like whether that's with the fundraisers or um, like the Alliance of Whitman and, um, and definitely results may vary as well. And so like, yeah, no, I just think that's so amazing. Um, now that we sort of have a background on everything that's been going on, um, do you guys want to talk a little bit about like how you got into this kind of work and sort of your individual, um, like not stakes in it, but like things that you think are personally, um, good things to know about you guys as activists well I think the way that I you know am driven by this is from just like what really 
inspired me to do activism at Whitman specifically are the women of color that I saw before me. The way that they did their activism and them doing activism and them showing so much care for all of us was really inspiring. And seeing the way that the administration treated them was even was quite devastating, to be honest, because they had amazing ideas. Like the things that they did were amazing and should be recognized and should be taken seriously. And the way that they just weren't really, you know, made me upset, like made me very, very upset. And it also makes me, it drives me to be an activist and to be involved when I see the change that we, the the change in the impact that we have, the fact that like seeing all those people be at the solidarity meeting and see them engage, that was, is encouraging. Like that is what makes me keep going. Seeing people, you know, taking it upon themselves and stepping up without us asking to do things. That's what makes me want to do more of this and seeing people read results may vary and share results may vary. And the, the way that we've had such a, a humongous reach, that's the type of things that make me want to do more and talking and also talking to younger students and, you know, being friends with younger students and them saying how they are inspired and they're so happy that we're doing this and like having them want to do or like participate in these things that those are the things that really make me want to do more and drive me and push me because seeing seeing how it's like doing all this work is making it a better environment for them and is just rewarding in itself like I like it may not come when I'm at Whitman like if all this change may not come while I'm here but if it's doing more for the future students the future black kids future BIPOC that will come to Whitman that's really rewarding and that's all I can ask for because and and also us creating a better future for future students is definitely honoring the past students and all of the work that they've been putting in and I think that's really what drives me and seeing that change and seeing literally the change in campus culture just over one summer is so encouraging and I think that that's it really drives you because people it shows people are actually caring about these things it's not just you know one one oh activism thing and then it's over people are taking each other accountable people are changing people are wanting to be better and actually learn and like that's the most rewarding part of this and just to see that change and to see people caring is is really just wonderful it's very emotional like I after like releasing results may vary I was just like kind of shocked by the response and the fact that everyone was reading it and people were actually like 
just engaging with it. It was just, it was really just wonderful. Yes, I agree with everything Hannah just said. And there's a specific incident that really like, um, kind of ingrained into me, like why I am starting to do what I'm doing. Um, on our, on the BSU and WASA Instagram page, we, um, posted a story that was like for new students. We were like, um, let us know what questions you have coming in. And that is when we were supposed to be in person and everything. And one of the questions that we got was what are the safe spaces on campus that aren't clubs? Like take away Woke V, take away BSU and WASA, like where, what do we have? And I was talking to Hannah and I was like, that's a good question. What, what do by POC students have besides the clubs that were created to amplify our voices and everything? Like where do, where do we go? when we need something and Hannah and I were really really brainstorming we were like oh well um well and we couldn't actually come up with anything and that's why it that's when I was like it's really important um to continue this work because there should be no reason why I can't answer that question for another black student and why I can't say oh if you're having troubles with this you go here here and here um I can say that and then I'm like, well, you can go here, but be wary of this person because they're racist or be wary of this because this could happen to you. You know what I mean? Um, And so I just hope that there are going to be, or the campus in general can be a space for all students because white students have every safe space, but where do the rest of us go? You know, and I look back on my own personal experiences as a first year, like in the classroom and outside, just all of it, um, like being like in the dorms. And I'm like, I would be really disappointed in myself if I just left without at least trying to make it so that nobody has to go through that again. Because the experiences that I've had at Whitman, I've had great ones and I've had ones that really stand out because they're awful. And I don't think that that should be the college experience for anyone else incoming. You know what I mean? And so I think that having that personal experience that was, is what drives that, um, having people around me who constantly, um, are checking up, making sure everyone everyone's okay. Like it's all of that, that makes it so that I have a purpose in doing it. Even, even if it's small. Yeah. Like when we were trying to figure out the answer to that question, I kind of was shocked because I was like, we never, we never thought about that question before because the only safe spaces that we've ever had or, you know, rely on are clubs and each other. And I real and that was what made me realize how much BIPOC students create communities within each other to be able to survive at these institutions. And I think that simply needs to stop happening because of the fact that that shouldn't be a thing that we need to do. We shouldn't have to look for other BIPOC students and you know have and have to cling on to each other so you know, strongly in order to feel safe at, at anywhere, to be honest. And I think that is what really drove us to do this because along with making this a better place for future students, if 
this is going to be a better place. It's going to be an anti-racist environment. The the friend groups and everybody, it's going to be, like Aaliyah was saying earlier, diverse. And I think when when our work, you know, our work is never done, obviously, but when we see an actual change in, like, the way that people go about being friends with each other and stuff like that, like, if we if there's ever a point where BIPOC students don't, you know, cling on to each other so we can survive, that's really what is important because then that means that there's been a change. They feel comfortable enough to, you know, not have to feel like they need to hold on to each other to survive and, you know, thrive here. And for others to understand your struggles, you know? And a lot of it, like for me, when coming into Whitman, the way, like being at a PWI in high school, it was different. And it was, it's surprising that it's so different, but I felt like I needed to also, you know, cling on to other POC because the way they were the only ones that understood the things I was going through, the, the ways I felt. and. I'm sure a lot of BIPOC are tired of being the only BIPOC in their classroom. I'm surely tired of only being the only black girl in a classroom um, as, and the only woman in the classroom. Like, it's tired and it's old. And we're tired of having to manifest these communities and create these communities for ourselves that already should be at places, you know? Um, just a quick note for, I guess white students at Whitman if you don't have to ask yourself these questions like whether I have a safe space or whether I have a support system when you chose your college or whether I'm going to be the odd one out when you're looking on your college search then that's privilege and that's something you should be aware that other by POC students had to go through when looking for college or have to go through when they're already on campus and they realize they don't have anywhere to go and I think that we as like POC students kind of have a checklist and we're kind of like, wow, we're missing this, this, and this. But white students just carry on with their day and don't really ever think about it because all of their spaces are their spaces. It's already been right. their spaces. Um, exactly. So it's never considered for them. And I think that's really important, um, especially with um, Aliyah's experience of that black student coming in saying, where's our space outside of what we in like BSU and WASA? it's a valid question but the fact that we right. have to ask that in the first place exactly mm-hmm. i totally uh, and just being um so hyper aware of where you stand in these environments mm-hmm. is exhausting and it's like i read a thing the other day that was like sometimes when you're in a space that wasn't even built for you just like being there is a revolutionary act like just existing at Whitman as a BIPOC student is a big deal. And um, it's an act of courage and resilience, um, despite all the privileges that come with it. And there are a lot of them. And I'm not like trying to downplay that, but it's hard. And so I think it's great for all of us to keep in mind that like we're doing just, just existing on that campus is kind of a big deal. And I, I see y'all and I recognize it. Um, so. Can you talk us through like some of the feelings that you go through when you 
um, like do the work that you're doing? I know you kind of talked about it before, but could you go a little deeper into that? So I was going to say, just like Hannah touched on how encouraging it's been to see um, white allies really stepping up. Um, at least in my experience at Whitman, this is the first time that I've seen that to this degree. Um, and that's been really encouraging for me. Um, and also sometimes like I just get um, comments from people that are like, I really appreciated this or I, I see what you're doing. Um, it's just um, feeling noticed has been really important for me and encouraging for me. Um, that's probably a similar experience to anyone who's just being acknowledged for um, doing this work or just existing in general, doing your best. I think that that's, that's meant a lot to me for sure. Yeah, like Aaliyah said, people reaching out and just saying we appreciate you or you're doing a really great or like keep the good work up. Like those little things, the small things really count in these situations because often BIPOC go educating and, you know, active, you know, being an activist around spaces and they don't really get the credit or they don't really get the recognition or no one is really saying, Oh, I appreciate you or you are doing what you're doing. You don't realize it, but it's amazing. And, you are inspirational and I think those those little messages that we've gotten throughout this entire summer have just been really wonderful honestly and it's always super encouraging to hear because it, it feels like we're making an impact it feels like we're actually doing something and changing something and the and the fact that we're you know doing something and changing something it's inspiring others and that's really all we can ask for because if more people participate then I just can't imagine the type of change we can make. Okay. Um, some things that I've seen that are discouraging though um, are things like performative activism. It's a really big problem especially it's like it's the it's the upside and downside of social media because um, we have seen such a large influx of you know people being outspoken about these issues people talking about these issues people reposting and sharing and all of this other stuff on social media and that's wonderful but also uh, some of it is performative performative activism being um just you know reposting something or sharing something not because you actually care about it or not because you want to make a change but because you want to seem more likable by you know others society etc and i think performative activism is such a tricky topic because when we're talking about social media um this movement was started on social media black lives matter um and it's really like social media has really helped um this movement and that's how we're getting a lot of our actual you know information and news um but there's also a downside of it which is performative and you know for example i'm going to use the the black square that everyone posted like mm, i don't remember but it was like maybe june june or july i'm not really sure but you know like everyone posted that black square and it was 
people were using the black uh, hashtag Blackout Tuesday and hashtag Black Lives Matter, and it ended up um, clogging up the Black Lives Matter hashtag with a bunch of black squares, and then um, and and because of that, a lot of the information that was being used and was helpful for the Black Lives Matter movement was basically blacked out. Um, and the original reason and like idea behind the Blackout Tuesday um, was actually called The Show Must Be Stopped. And it was for, I think, celebrities or like musicians. Um, and, you know, I participated in it and then I took mine down because I felt very conflicted about it because there was not, there was too much differing and conflicting information about it. And what ended up happening is a lot of people would post a black square and then never say anything about Black Lives Matter movement ever. And that's not okay. That is literally performative activism. And I saw it with some of our Whitman students, which was really gross because I was like, y'all don't care like you say you do. Um, and like that like having that one black square and like that being the only time that you ever talk about black lives matter and then and then never talking about it again that's that's performative activism it would be different if you had been talking about you know these injustices beforehand or you know started after or continued after the blackout tuesday um you know right. situation like but a lot of what I saw was just, you know, it was a it lot being of, a trend. Yeah, it was like Black Lives Matter had turned into a trend, and that's not what it is. It is a movement and not a moment. And people treated it as a trend, which is not cool because oh, my Black life is not a trend. It won't be a trend. I refuse for it to be a trend. And people being murdered for no reason, should not be a trend. It's honestly apathetic to participate in that. It's apathetic because you don't care. Like, the idea of performative activism is wild to me because you are basically exposing your own self for not actually being an ally and only wanting to seem cool to people or, like, good, when in reality, you should just be being an actual ally and working your way to being a better ally and I think that was really was something I had to grapple with as an activism I mean an activist um and just myself like I was involved in it and I participated in Blackout Tuesday and then I had to just be like well what does this actually mean is this doing anything and do I want to do this and I ended up just taking my post down because for me, my work as an activist and on Whitman was more than just posting a black square. And it was feeling very like, okay, let me post my black square. That's enough activism for today. Like, no, you have the luxury of going back and not having your mind filled with all these atrocities and, you know, worrying about walking alone in broad daylight or walking just alone or just being black you have that luxury while we do not um our race unfortunately is a political thing 
um, which it shouldn't be. And our existence is political, like, and it shouldn't be. And like, while I would love to not think about being black in anywhere, I have to because it is the circumstances that we are in. Um, something else that is really discouraging um, is feeling like you're not doing enough. Um, I touched upon that a little bit earlier, but sometimes it feels like when these things keep happening and you keep seeing the news, you're not doing enough. And there's part of you that's saying you're not doing enough. You're not, you're not actually changing anything. And you have to really just put that aside and, and take things in perspective because these issues are bigger than all of us and they're systematic. So we can't really do that all in one day. We can't take it down in one day, obviously. And so pacing yourself is really important and not having that idea that you're not doing enough is really important. Um, another thing, um, just some other things that are really discouraging are complacency and lack of accountability. Um, I've seen so much complacency and lack of accountability in these times. Um, that's one of the roots of our issues in America and just in this system. There's no accountability. People don't like telling their friends that's not cool or telling their loved ones that's not okay to say or something like that. And being complacent is so harmful and it's 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 being silent like being silent is violence like you said jasmine um being complacent basically meaning you aren't willing to change and you aren't willing to learn and you're basically being stubborn and those like you deciding to be complacent or just ignore issues that are prevalent and that really affect people is really harmful because you have the luxury and privilege of not thinking about these things you know while on my mind it's always going to be at the back of my mind and you deciding to stay quiet or stay you know comfortable is not right. helping those of us who are always uncomfortable you know yeah especially when like and I think that Hannah and I have both re worked really hard on like creating resources is that have like action steps to take that um that everyone has agreed can be really helpful for the BIPOC community at Whitman um and like just students in general have created a lot of resources and documents that um outline what our counterparts can do to help us and to see them not taking that seriously is discouraging because it's like why like what and obviously um you're not going to get everybody. And I like to focus on the people who are willing to help more than the people who don't. But um, it sucks to see you, anybody putting a lot of work into something um, and not having it be taken seriously, I think. Yes. And like that complacency goes along with accountability. Um, the lack of accountability is so, so dangerous because you aren't going to learn you aren't going to grow. And I think a lot of the time people don't realize when someone tells you, oh, you should be doing this or, hey, maybe don't do that or, hey, that's not cool. They're not trying to 
crucify you. They're just simply trying to correct a mistake and wanting better for you. Um, accountability is so important and it's not that hard to say, sorry, I will do better and keep in mind that thing that that person told you. And if you really care, you take that into account, you know? And I think it's so important to, you know, um, like do that. It's so important to take accountability for your actions because that's the only way that people are going to grow and change and become better allies. Um, I guess I, I know this sounds cheesy um, and I, I've seen it repeated, but not as much, but I think when people hold each other accountable, it's kind of, it's, it's out of love, whether you want to admit it or not. Like you care, like I care enough about you that I'm going to correct you so that you become better out of it and you don't hurt anybody else. And I want you to love or care about me back so that I don't have these feelings and you don't, you know, make me feel like absolute crap. And I think that kind of what you said with like, people think they're being crucified, like take it, take it, take it at ease. And I mean, if I really didn't want you to be better, I wouldn't have corrected you in the first place kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's just a thought that people should have when they're being corrected and held accountable. Yes, and also I would like to say that if you're not surrounding yourself with people who do just what Jasmine was saying, then you need to reevaluate your friendships. You should have people around you who constantly want to see you do better. And if they decide to do that and then you take it as a personal attack on your character, one, that's a whole other conversation about white fragility. But two, like just reevaluate who you consider a real friend or not. Real friends aren't going to let you sit back and be racist because you're either racist or you're anti-racist. You feel? I think that's like also the reason why people are so scared to call other people out because it's like, like Jasmine was saying, like it's out of concern for your friend or your family or member or whoever you're trying to call out and for yourself and like when the stakes are that high and it's out of like love for them if they like reject your wanting to call them out it's like oh like now I don't really know like now I do have to like reevaluate my friendship because if they take it poorly I am like scared that I'm gonna lose a friend and uh, again like Aaliyah was saying like if you are afraid to do that and you're afraid to call your friend out because they're not going to take it well, like you have to reevaluate your friendships. And like, I think calling people out is like a way not to like test your friendships, but like kind of, and, but do that. They yes. care about you back, yeah. <laughs> and if they care about you back, they'll take it well, or you'll just like, maybe it'll be a little bit tense for a minute, but you'll talk it out and be like, this is where I'm coming from. And I, like care enough about our relationship to put in the energy of like saying that what you did was problematic. So exactly. And like, yeah. Telling someone that they're in the wrong is never a bad thing. It's, it shouldn't be seen as negative because if you're telling someone, Hey, that's racist or maybe should not be racist or maybe you should do this thing that will help you be a better ally. That's always and if, if anything, a positive thing. They're trying to make you be a better person. There's no, like, loss you're getting. You're only winning. 
Yeah. So after talking a lot about like the empowerment that you guys feel um, after doing like all this work and having people take it really well and being super interested in like making change and doing better. Um, and then also talking about the discouragement and just sort of like the exhaustion that comes with doing that work. So can we talk a little bit about like activism fatigue and burnout that we mentioned earlier and like how like obviously thinking about pressing social issues all the time is like really hard emotionally um and exhausting and so like obviously you guys have felt this like we mentioned and like what are some ways that you take a break or find balance within the work that you're doing to like sustain the activism in your lives yeah for sure um and like burnout and self-care go hand in hand like you were saying um so actually one of the emails that we sent to alliance had to do with burnout and self-care and we had um a lot of points that hannah and i thought were really useful and that we've used that we wanted to share with others so some of those i i'm just gonna um read what we sent um so the first one is actively being kind to each other and like I was mentioning before like words of encouragement go a long way um I think that definitely on social media like constantly posting about issues that are super pressing can feel like you're talking to a void and so what I have started to do is like if I see something that someone's posted that I resonated with or learned from I let them know so it's like you are reaching someone it's about you know like just the visibility of it I think and that's been really helpful for um, not feeling like my work or anybody's work is useless or rendered indifferent. Um, also like constantly checking in with yourself and identifying your feelings is really important. Obviously we all feel them, but it's like, what is this feeling? Um, and why am I feeling this way? And just like reflecting on that and working through that, um, is really important. Like feelings of course in general are valid, but choosing what to do with them is like a choice that we all have. And I think when it comes down to like, when we're thinking about burnout and self-care, it's like, um, I'm feeling frustrated, frustrated at this. Um, and like working through that. And then like for Hannah and I, especially like making ourselves available to each other and constantly checking in, um, is also really important. And, um, the last point that I had is just knowing when to step up and when to step down. And that's a balance that kind of, um, takes a long time to learn, but it's, it's a really valuable skill. And like all three of you have already said, like we can't do it all. One person can't do it all. And so we need to have, um, people who know their boundaries and can step down or step up for projects as they see fit. Um, and I think that all of those tips, especially for people of color and black women, especially should really take them into consideration and figure out um, like a self-care routine that they think is really important. And I also would say logging out of social media sometimes can be um, a tip that I would share. Yeah, I'd like to echo everything Aaliyah said. And especially for me personally, I there were times where I had to log out of social media or just like step back and stop watching people's stories because as wonderful as it is to see that people are talking about these issues, it's also very overwhelming sometimes and it can get really just upsetting you know so definitely taking care of yourself 
Um, and while doing your activism is really important because you can't be the best activist you can be if you're not taking care of yourself first. What is Whitman doing wrong when it comes to academics and what would you like to see change? No. So just overall, a curriculum in general is just identifying knowledge that we value, right? So if we're in an encounters class and we're only reading white voices and writes white stories, who are we saying that we value? Whose knowledge are we saying that we value? And um, what I've seen in my own politics major, also environmental studies major, like they have been leaving out core information, which perpetuates white supremacy and gives a superiority of knowledge. That's why um, I think it's really important to go about decolonizing the departments and making it inclusive. Um, and I know that that kind of seems like a buzzword now, but it really is important. And I think it's a buzzword because people don't really understand what it means. Um, but um, Hannah and I, in our in results may vary, we have really specific um, changes that we want to see at, when it comes to the curriculums that we have with our majors and minors. Yes. Um, so like Leah said, that's one of our demands because it's super important to have a decolonized curriculum. Um, and in, in Encounters especially, you see a lot of, you know, we have some texts by BIPOC authors, but a lot of them focus on trauma, which is such a, a common thing that happens a lot. And I think that, like, that needs to stop because in Encounters, like, having to relive, um, like, the same things that we already know about our people and having to listen to the atrocities and the sad things that just happened to our people, it's not really helpful for anybody except the the white students in the class or the students that don't know anything about it. I think, like, for example, having text by black authors only focusing on slavery it's tired you know and we already know about these things why are we having to listen to the trauma of our ancestors you know um and i think that that goes along with having a decolonized curriculum we can have bipoc authors who don't just focus on trauma um and we can learn through that lens instead of you know just talking about this because from one thing from one perspective because race whether you like it or not is it's involved in everything and a lot of people like to say oh why do you make everything about race well it's racism is systematic racism is everywhere in our curriculum and we have to realize that it ha it has to do with everything it is affected it affects everything the reason, yes. you know, college admissions, race affects it. You know, BIPOC students, we have to think about, oh, are we going to be the only this and that in a class? You know, white students don't have to think about that. Um, and that's the reason why a decolonized curriculum is so important. And that's why it was one of our demands. Because, you know, we are always talking us as BIPOC are always talking about race, but 
um, it's important that, you know, we also acknowledge that it's, you know, ingrained in everything. Yes. And I would just like to say that I think that Whitman is doing a complete disservice to their white students by only offering texts by white authors for the majority of their college education. I think that that, like the cycle that you were talking about earlier, Jasmine, of getting this degree and then leaving and then being whatever you're going to be, all of everything that you're learning now is going to be taken with you. So if you're leaving Whitman with the idea that you are still superior because that's the only thing that you've been told and that's the only thing that you've been taught, those are the only works that you've been think that you've been um, given. I think that that is continuing that cycle and the system of white supremacy. You can you can always be better at being an ally. There's always things that you can work on and you have to be open to suggestion and open to criticism um, and just, you know, making sure that as an ally, you're keeping into account um, your position, your voice, and also not drowning out uh, the voices of BIPOC because, um, you know, that can be a problem sometimes. But just, you know, accountability, always listening when BIPOC tell you, oh, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. Like taking suggestions and criticism well and realizing that this is all um, for, you know, personal growth. Yeah. Um, okay. So as we wrap up um, the episode, what is your sort of final message for listeners, allies, students at other predominantly white institutions and other people who are also doing like similar social justice work. I think that my final message would be the idea of keeping up the momentum that we have and taking the resources that by POC students have written um, for you if you're at Whitman or anybody who's at a PWI and taking them seriously. Um, I would encourage you to read all of those documents starting with results may vary and for the record, etc. Um, read the take action and solidarity notes if you haven't. Um, Han and I can give you access to them. Also, we have an anti-racist drive if anybody wants to look that look at that with like some resources. I'd also like to highlight you should listen to your BIPOC friends. Um, you should listen to women of color and you should especially listen to black women. Um, because what we have to say is very important and we must be taken seriously because otherwise there's nothing, there's never going to be any change and definitely compensate those for their emotional labor because it is a process. It is a time. And regardless of what you may think about how much or how easy or hard these things are, they are really hard. Like, Writing results may vary wasn't just a, a one day thing. It was a month of hours of FaceTime calls and editing and emailing. It was a very long process. And, you know, activism is a long process. It is always a process. Um, if people at Whitman want to join the Alliance Listserv, um, who do they contact? You can email um, me, Hannah, at 
paulh at women.edu to be added to the listserv. Um, you can also um, email Aaliyah at Aaliyah far, far Dan at Whitman.edu. Um, <laughs> and you, you can also shoot us a DM. You can also DM the Whitman Wasa uh, BSU Instagram page. Amazing. So yeah, I would definitely encourage people who like have not read results may vary or, um, are not on the lift serve to DM them or email them. Um, cause they're amazing resources. And if you listen to this podcast, everything paired together would be like an amazing opportunity just to like make all those connections about different things that people are talking about. Um, so that's all that we had for you today. And we want to thank Aaliyah and Hannah for joining us. Um, as always, we hope this episode left you with something to think about. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of Whitman So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Whitman So White is being financially supported. If you can or would like to pay Aaliyah and Hannah for their time and voice, or for writing results may vary, or for their activism work, or for Hannah's beautiful artwork, or for all of the fundraisers they're doing, please see our Instagram post for their payment options. All guests on Whitman So White will have payment options on our Instagram post. So go to at Whitman So White, pay up, and open your purse. Mm-hmm.